I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up. We're going to talk a little bit about the craziness that is going on down in the Lone Star State. And then we're going to be revealing a special project that we've been working on at Good Faith Media about conversion therapy. We've got a series of videos that will be released next week that we want to tell you all about. And then later on the pod, Autumn and I get to catch up with a friend of Good Faith Weekly, Kendall Rothas. So stay tuned. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas, a womanist in ministry and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of the Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services, The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode, we're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, howdy. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to it's your birthday. It is. What do you want for your birthday? A unicorn, a Corvette, um, another bird feeder. <laughs> uh, you know, I posted on uh, Facebook last night the photo of me getting my vaccination months ago. And I truly, hand to God, I really want for my birthday everybody to get vaccinated. Anybody who's wavering, anybody who you know has had second thoughts about getting the vaccine, I'm telling you, it's time to get it. This Delta variant is the real deal. Uh, the first wave of COVID, the second wave of COVID, they were bad. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Caused a lot of havoc, a lot of death, a lot of sickness. But this Delta variant, what we are being told by experts, is extremely contagious. And if you're unvaccinated, I mean, you're just spinning a wheel because it not only is going to make you sick, it there's a great possibility you could die from this. I mean, it's it's really bad. So all I want for my birthday this year is to get people in the seat and get the needle in their arm, which sounds really weird. <laughs> but, uh, I but, think it's a very selfless birthday wish, and I hope that everyone shops from your registry. I agree. Just the polite thing to do. Yeah. And if you're already vaccinated, please, please start wearing a mask in public again. I mean, even if you're vaccinated, there's these breakthrough cases that we're hearing about. Uh, We're hearing about them here at Good Faith Media, right and left. Uh, People, thank God, aren't getting uh, really sick from, uh, vaccinated people aren't getting really sick from Delta. Thank goodness. And that's why it shows that the vaccine works. Uh, But uh, but uh, we can spread it. We can still spread it around. And so yeah. please, please start masking. Talking about public spread. Again. You know, where there's a bunch of, I heard a term today called spread necks. 
<laughs> oh, get it back. So let's cross. Let's go ahead and cross the border and uh, to our southern states, uh, especially mm-hmm. Texas and Florida. What the heck's going on down there in your home state of Texas? Well, it's not good. Um, Governor Abbott is sort of wielding his power and. You know, we talked a few weeks ago with Sky Perryman about some sort of strange ways he's building his power. And we're seeing that with with the the virus situation as well. What I'm happy to report is that there are cities who are saying, uh-uh, you can't do that. Because the thing about Texas is that it's filled with Texans. So it is good to see some pushback. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing that in Florida as well and other states uh, that have issued these um, these man or these um Refusals for mandates uh, prohibiting uh, masking in public, especially with public schools. I am really proud of some of our superintendents across this country who are standing up to this oligarchy, uh, this authoritarian rule. Uh, You know, I want to tell Governor Abbott and DeSantis that they're not kings, uh, they're governors and they govern. I had my finger on the radio edit button because I didn't know what you were going (laughs) to (laughs) say. Oh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I just don't understand it. I mean, you've got Republican governors like Asa Hutchinson over in Arkansas who admitted, he said, I wish I'd never signed this bill because he's seen the increase in hospitalizations. And I mean, the the terrifying thing, and we've been saying this on this show for weeks now, our greatest fear is that this virus is going to try to find a new host and the most, the largest unvaccinated population in the country right now is children. And Autumn, that's what's and happening. Baptist. <laughs> well, yes, and Baptist. We have to poke fun at our own a little bit. But yeah, right. yeah uh, kids yeah. Are, the, are the natural next host. And we're hearing from these children's hospitals that uh, they're starting to fill up with kids uh, in their ICUs, some on ventilators even. Um, this, this is, at this point, it's ridiculous. And I'm glad to see that their employers across the country who are um, mandating vaccinations uh, for their employees. I'm happy to say that all of our employees here at Good Faith Media are vaccinated um, and we're proud of it. So uh, we're going to continue to fight this battle. Well, not only is Governor Abbott in Texas, uh, you know, for some reason, wanting his citizens to die down there from COVID. He also issued an arrest warrant yesterday for the Democrats who fled the state weeks ago for Washington, D.C., as they are protesting another bill that is being passed in a red state that is going to restrict voter rights. Uh, and so, it, it, boy, it, it's a lot of craziness going on in Texas right now. It is. I think maybe they just haven't all recovered from that freeze that hit them. Texans aren't meant to be that cold, Mitch. <laughs> I think some wires got sort of frozen and, and iced over or something. It's it's really sad because the thing about being from Texas, Mitch, is that there's a lot to be proud of. You mm-hmm. know, there just really is. But it's also a place where a lot of really headstrong people have gone. And so you can affect a lot of change for good. Right. Or the other way. And so I just really hope that people will band together and use their voices because Texas is in a really interesting transition period right now. The demographics are changing. Cities are changing. The rural areas are changing. And I think it's spooking a lot of folks. And so it's, it's sort of a reaction. And when you say situation. folks, you mean white folks. Yeah, white men mostly. Yeah, well, that's true, white men. So, well, we're going to keep our eyes. In fact, we're going to keep both of our eyes uh, pointed towards our southern states down there to see what's going on. And we really do wish them the best. Um, you know, 
please, again, get your vaccination, wear a mask in public, and do everything you can to make certain more people can vote, not less people can vote, because yeah. there's not been one ounce of evidence shown that there is fraud in these elections. It's just a bogus claim. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of bogus claims, Autumn, we've got a really exciting announcement to make today here at Good Faith Weekly. Starting next week, in fact, Monday, we are going to be releasing a series of videos over the next six days, weekdays, that talk about the, and I'm going to say this, and I don't say it lightly, the horrible and harmful practice of conversion therapy. Okay, so that's a slippery term, right? There are a lot of right. people who won't come out and say that what they're doing is conversion therapy. But Con- when you pe- peel off the sticker, that's what it is underneath. Yeah, conversion therapy goes by other names, reparative therapy, restorative therapy. Uh, a lot of the organizations that are involved engaging and advocating for conversion therapy do not use those terms anymore because they find them as problematic. Basically, based on their own data, because they're realizing that there's not very many success stories that they have. You cannot change a person's sexual orientation or or gender identification, and they as much, yeah, as much as they right? try, they just can't. And neither do it. can God, because guess what? To quote the heiress, Lady Gaga. They were born that way. <laughs> That's right. I love that we got a Lady Gaga quote in today. That's great. <laughs> uh, she's just rife. You know, she's ready. She is. But over the last few months, uh, I've been flying across the country, uh, driving across the country, uh, listening to stories of survivors from conversion therapy. And we've got five stories that we're going to be sharing um, uh, next week on video. And they are heartbreaking. They're compelling. Uh, and they're infuriating that this practice still goes on today. And so uh, we hope that you tune in next week. Uh, go to goodfaithmedia.org to see those videos. Uh, there'll be one video a day released beginning Monday. And then we're going to culminate that with a final piece. We sat down with pastors, rabbis, policy experts to talk about the ramifications of conversion therapy. And that was really eye-opening as well. Uh, It's amazing some of the work that's being done post-conversion therapy by pastors and rabbis who are caring for these individuals and loving them and embracing them or who they are. And then we sat we sat down with Casey Pick, who is uh, the legal expert for the Trevor Project, and she was just incredibly informative, talking about what's going on across the country, uh, telling us what exactly it means when a state or city bans conversion therapy, because it's not what you think it means. There are a lot of limitations regarding. Uh, those pieces of legislation and, and, and resolutions that are out there today. And churches and faith-based organizations continue to practice this, um, uh, this in their words, ministry uh, under the protection of the First Amendment. And the only way that it can really come to an end is if people of faith rise up and say, enough is enough, please stop doing this. So it's, it's been an interesting couple of months covering this story. We are excited to bring it to you. We do want to warn anyone who has been through conversion therapy uh, that um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard watch uh, for many of you to, as, as you recall, your own experiences. But there's help out there. There's a lot of great organizations, great community, great big community that just wants to embrace you and love you and accept you and affirm you for who you are. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to, since a couple of things that I learned because I, I sat in the background um, for a couple of these interviews with you um, is first of all, just to look at the faces of the people who are harmed by the rhetoric that's coming out of places of faith. And I think that's why it's so important um, at Good Faith Media that we are taking a stand. We are saying like, we are people of faith. We love Jesus and we also love you. And I think that's really important. It should be duh by this point, but it's not in a lot of places. And from hearing the stories of folks that it's not just, you know, I picture like walking into sort of an AA type of meeting and you say, hi, you know, my name is Autumn and I'm here for conversion therapy. But there's a lot of subtle conversion therapy elements that are woven through Sunday school lessons, youth group Bible studies, pulpits on Sunday mornings. Um conversation in the hallways as you walk in. So from people of faith. And so I think there's a message in there for everyone, even if you are not a person who has a badge that says, I'm a conversion therapist, we need to make sure that we're not using that kind of harmful language in our day to day as a person of faith either. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because that, that is an excellent reminder. And so, you know, we're going to bring this to you next week. Uh, it's, we think it's a powerful piece. I've seen some of the final cuts of it. Uh, the stories, again, are just riveting, uh, and you, you just don't want to miss it. Uh, it's one of the best things that I think we've done in a while, and I think we do good stuff all the time. Uh, so, uh, uh, so make sure you t- uh, stay tuned. Well, next, uh, Autumn and I sat down with a friend of the pod, the Reverend Kendall Routhus. We are excited that she's got a new book that is uh, going to be released next week. Uh, next Tuesday, Queen, The Queendom Come is going to be released, uh, and it is a delightful read. I, I read it last week before interviewing Kendall, and our time with her is always delightful and interesting, and I always learn something when I sit down with Kendall. Yeah, and we're going to be, I'm going to be on the road next week. I'm actually traveling with Good Faith Media, safely masked, uh, vaccinated, to Glacier National Park. And so if that sounds like fun to you, you should definitely check out our website. We're going to be starting to slate our 2022 calendar, but we'll miss you next week. Yes, we will miss you. And uh, we're going to take a week off. I'm going to be here in Oklahoma as uh, Autumn and some of our staff go to Glacier National Park. I do want to say about that trip, Autumn, I hope that you're going to be posting a daily video because, you know, I, I know you really well. I know peg you for an outdoorsy type of person. <laughs> Here's the situation, Mitch. I like to go outdoors as long as I have a hot shower and some electricity to deal with this giant Texas hair when I get back indoors. <laughs> so as long as I can get cleaned up, I'm excited. You know, I, when I joined the team at Good Faith Media, these trips were one thing I was really looking forward to connecting with our, our folks who travel with us. It's just a really sweet time to spend many days traveling in God's creation together. And we missed all of those last year. Thanks, Corona. And I'm excited to meet some of the people of good faith who I've only talked to on the phone and emailed with. (laughs) Well, I hope you have a great time. And uh, listeners, we'll be back uh, next, not next week, but a week after next. Uh, But uh, next on the pod is our interview with Reverend Rothhaus. So stay tuned. Jenna. I'm Ashley. And we're Reverends. Rev's on the road. Pop in the car with us and come along for the ride. As we step out of the pulpit and see what God is up to in the world. We're not leaving the church. We're just finding it in all kinds of beautiful places. Rev's on the road, a podcast from Good Faith Media. 
We travel the country from the comfort of our place in Dallas for now and catch up with beautiful people doing God's work, advocating for disability rights, healing from church hurt and spiritual abuse, promoting mental health and the power of community, integrating spirituality and art, working for racial justice, and so much more. We've got red light rants, pit stops, and detours. Faith is a journey, and we're on it. So ride along with us. The Revs. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Revs on the Road. I'm Jenna. And I'm Ashley. We're Revs on the Road. A podcast from Good Faith Media. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly, and on this episode, we've got a very good friend of the pod who is a returning guest, Reverend Kendall Ray Rothis. She is a spiritual guide, preacher, poet, and feminist theologian. She often works with people on the margins of the church, and she's particularly interested in religious trauma, feminist spirituality, mystical traditions, and the intersection of systemic oppression and soul work. She's been a co-host for our Discovering Wholeness podcast here on Good Faith Media. She's also the co-founder of Nevertheless She Preached and a prolific author. Her most recent book, entitled The Queendom Come, Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul, is available for purchase or download on August 17th, where you get your reading materials. Kendall, welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We are very thankful that you're joining us. It feels like you're sort of part of the team because we interact with you on absolutely many different levels. <laughs> yes, um, supporting nevertheless she preached and discovering wholeness. So we're excited to have you. You are obviously a voice that we really trust and are excited to promote uh, your new work. Um, mm. So you know, as someone who grew up in um, a, a pretty fundamentalist situation, church wise, I never heard God referred to as any gender other than male, mm. um, except for like, if they were making fun of a liberal who would call God a she, like it was sort of a tongue in cheek situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so if we agree that God is a genderless deity, then how did God get so historically characterized as exclusively male? Oh, mm. geez, just a, an easy question out of the, yeah, the, the, the box there. Right, right in. <laughs> I, I was just going to ask her how the book sales are going, but uh, go, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, so this is actually, this is a fascinating question because actually if you go far enough back in history, pre-Christianity, pre-patriarchal religions, sort of the first um, evidence we have of um, of people worshiping or a, a deity, most people conceptualized of God as female. Mm. Um, you know, original, originally um, in ancient cultures, people tended to venerate their ancestors. Um, and that often, um, you know, they, there was a, a lack of knowledge at that time about procreation. So, so there wasn't necessarily, people didn't really know men had anything to do with it. So if you're going to venerate your ancestors, you're going to venerate your mother and your grandmother and your great-grandmother. And if you can then imagine venerating so far back that you reach a like supreme ancestor, right? Like the, 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 the one from whom we were all birthed. Of course she would be a woman. <laughs> of course she would be a woman. Ah, <laughs> oh, the good old days. <laughs> yes, yes, you know. And so, so there's a lot of uh, archaeological evidence that um, early, early um, 
humanity viewed God in, in a feminine form um, because it, it's what made sense. And the, there's also a lot of evidence that um, the move towards viewing God completely in masculine patriarchal terms wasn't just an accident. I mean, there were people coming in and destroying, you know, the ancient goddess religion. We even see evidence of that in our own Bible, like the Israelites sort of wiping out the indigenous religion of the Canaanite people. Um, so it's actually a pretty violent a violent history of intentional suppression of any sort of feminine understanding of God. Um, and then it just, you know, after a while, it just stuck, I think. And, 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 and that's what we're used to hearing. And we've, we, we lost our imaginations. Those were the voices in power, right? Yes. They were male. Yes. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of advantage to that, right? Like if God is made in your image only, if only, you know, if, if God is male and you are male, that, that kind of, um, it reinforces the power. Yeah. This whole concept, uh, and you just do a, a brilliant job in the book, uh, making a strong argument for dismantling the patriarchal system that Christianity has built over the last 2000 years, uh, switching the framework from a kingdom of God motif to a queendom of God motif. Mm -hmm. And as I thought more and more about that, and I read it, uh, on a plane ride from Seattle, Washington, all the way back to Norman, Oklahoma, I just these these historical moments that I know of in my own research and study just started becoming paramount and standing even even more alone because I started thinking about I'm a, I'm a big lover of English history and mm -hmm. the, the crown and, and the monarchy and you think about that and growing up a lot of times the more violent history of the crown in England was glorified but mm -hmm. then reality the most, the three stablest monarchies that have existed in the modern time have been three queens <laughs> Elizabeth, mm -hmm. Victoria, and now Elizabeth II. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's just, you did a beautiful job laying all this out. Why do you think that we need to, to begin to, to dismantle the current framework and construct a new framework moving from a kingdom of God? understanding to more of a queendom of God understanding? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we need to dismantle it because it's not working, because it's violent, and because it suppresses um, not only the voices of women, but folks on the margins in general. And, um, you know, when you look back, back, if you go far enough back to um, pre-patriarchal cultures where um, women did have more of a voice, often the cultures were more peaceful, more egalitarian. Um, and so when I, and I say this explicitly in the book, when I use the, the term queendom, it's not because I actually think, now let's let all the women be in charge and the, the men be our subjects, right? Like the the, the I'm I, not not saying that. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, it would be it's worth a try at this point. It's worth a try. <laughs> well, there are nine. I mean, yeah, I'll just say nine. somebody's going to quote uh, RGB here any moment. I could I can Absolutely. hear. Absolutely. Yes. Um, 
but really the, the the point is that for me is that we need something totally different. Um, and so that's why I choose the language of queendom um, because I, I think, you know, even, even though there's all this great, great language around Jesus's idea of the kingdom of God, I just think kingdom is too tainted. It is too tainted. So using a word like kingdom allows us to really reimagine a whole structure and a whole way of relating that just kind of gets rid of the the hierarchy gets rid of 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 some of the harm that's been done and let's like let's level the playing field and start over now we're going to get into a couple of the specifics of what you mean by kingdom of God here in just yeah. a moment. But you mentioned in your opening or in your remarks here to this question about the patriarchal system, hierarchical system uh, having failed or failing, which I agree yeah. with. Can you yeah. give the listeners just a, a, an example of how that has failed? Oh, um, I know there's a lot. <laughs> Right. <laughs> How to narrow it down. Um, well, I, I mean, an example, an example that comes to mind is, you know, we've had this hierarchical system of who interprets the Bible for us. Right. Um, and so, so we have these people who speak on behalf of God the religious authorities, the pastors, the preachers, and we start to cut off people's individual capacity to relate to spirit, to hear from God on their own. Um, and, and so, for example, for example, um, to be more specific, like I cannot tell you how many women I have encountered whose whose pastors have told them to stay in an abusive marriage or situation. Right. Mm. Um, and then that woman interprets that pastor's word as a word from God. And she denies the internal knowing she, that she is worthy of being treated with respect and that it's okay to leave. Um, and so that, that hierarchical, the pastor, the preacher, the Pope, the Bishop, whoever knows, knows better, has a direct connection with God, um, thwarts people from being able to listen to their own inner knowing. Yeah. That's a great, perfect example. Yeah. And inner knowing that God clearly placed, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You deny that because you don't have the same power because of the schema that's been built your whole life. Yeah. Um, so Good Faith Media, thankfully, we celebrate gender inclusive language in describing God, um, but not everyone is so enthusiastic about it. <laughs> you have a few examples of when <laughs> you received pushback. Can you tell us about one of those times? Yes. Um, one example that comes to mind is, that I tell in the book is it wasn't even... Um, it wasn't even me. I, you know, I was, um, I was pastoring, but I was out of town one weekend. And so my youth minister, it was Pentecost Sunday. Um, I think it was Pentecost. Um, and you know, the, the, the language in the Bible for the spirit is all feminine. And so my youth minister who, who, uh, is a male <laughs> chose to use all feminine language for God throughout the entire service. 
And it wasn't unusual for us to, you know, sometimes refer to God as she or be very intentional about not using um, gender neutral for language for God. You know, that was pretty common. But then we had this service where God was a she the entire time. Dun, dun, dun. I know. <laughs> Were we clutching our pearls a little bit? <laughs> yeah. And I remember there was, there's some being some, you know, some people were fine with it, but there was some pushback, though. like, like that, oh, that, ah, that, you know, that was too much. Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh, like, I cannot even begin to count the number of times in my life I have been in situations, read books, been to services, been to funerals, been to weddings, where God is only referred to in masculine terms. And no one's ever complaining, about, <laughs> never, com- you know, complaining about that. And so I, I think that the fact that hearing God as she, like, makes people kind of, you know, kind of bristle. That was, I, you know. Why do, why do you think that is, Kendall? Oh, I just think it's like our deep internalized um, cynicism, you know. Um, it makes women uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, I think it's so ingrained in us, so 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 deeply, that women are somehow lesser than men. That we almost can't accept. We just can't accept um, that the divine could be feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, once you go there, it begins to threaten lots of things. Um, and so there's kind of this defense mechanism that comes up like, oh my gosh, if I can question that, what else can I question? Um, yeah, it's amazing how powerful some of these cultural nuances and norms are in our life that we don't even recognize it, such yeah. as using you know, junior, uh, gender exclusive language and describing. God as as deity, um, you know, and it really is. I mean, because I mean, the story that you tell, uh, knowing your past and your history, you've preached in a lot of progressive churches, mm-hmm. and even within some of these progressive congregations, it makes them uncomfortable. And you know, one of the the great comments I heard one time was a guy came into my office and uh, and you know we were talking about an idea, and it very well could have been uh, gender neutral language. Uh, describing God or referring to God as a she. And the individual said to me, you know, here's my problem. I don't have, I don't have a problem with using that kind of language, but my problem is I have a problem because I feel so, it feels so uncomfortable to me. You know, I thought Mm -hmm. I was a lot more open to it than than I was. And then we started, you know, using that kind of language and then I became uncomfortable. I've got a Mm -hmm. problem with myself. (laughs) It it was very confessional. It was was a really wonderful moment. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I so wish that's how people approached it. Like if, if there's this discomfort arising in me, it doesn't mean the discomfort is not necessarily a signal that what's happening is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's a signal that maybe I have some internal work to do. Right, yeah. right, right. You know, yeah. The growing pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's let's do a little deeper dive into the book. Uh, in a chapter about the reign of love, you mentioned Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You connect a very personal moment in your own life with the agony yeah. Mary suffered on Good Friday. 
You suggest we should view the advent of God through both the lenses of Jesus and Mary, stating, Thus a woman's salvation comes not from the outside of her, but literally from within, from within her womb, the center of creativity, the place of her deep, the place of her deep wisdom. So, you know, what does that exactly mean? Yeah, I, I love the idea of thinking about Mary as the God bearer, you know, um, because especially for women, I think this, the story um, that we've been handed is that, you know, we are so sinful and helpless and we need this external male savior <laughs> to come and redeem us. Um, but when you think about Mary's story, like she gives birth to God um, in, you know, from her, her body, this, this body that we typically, you know, we talk about bodies as unclean and, but no, her body, her body carries God. And so I love this. I love um, kind of reimagining our theology around um, salvation or, or what it means to, to be connected with God. Um, through the lens of Mary, because Mary wasn't, wasn't somebody that had to be saved or redeemed. She was somebody that was asked to be a vessel of, of giving birth to divinity. And so um, I, I think that's such a powerful theological shift to think of ourselves as like in the lineage of Mary Mm-hmm. Um, participating with God, co-creating with God to bring that love into embodiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a very different starting place than I'm totally depraved and um, wicked and in need of someone to rescue me. I think it's an absolutely beautiful view of, of God and, and of Jesus and of divinity. One of the most profound moments in the 30 years of ministry that I've been doing this was I was officiating the, the, uh, the Lord's Supper one Sunday, and I began to talk about the sacrifice that Jesus made, as we often do, but through the eyes of Mary, who watched, mm-hmm. who watched you know, him being beat, who watched him being tortured, who watched Jesus being crucified. And I just started openly weeping. Mm-hmm. making that connection between Mary, the mother of divinity, and what we were there to, to participate in. It was, it was a very profound uh, moment for me. So when I read this section of the book, I mean, I just started getting weepy all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a different way of looking at it. And, you know, like I, I talk in the book about Good Friday being a day that um, this baby I had been fostering was removed from my care on Good Friday. And I just, it was such a profound grief for me. And then for it to be happening on Good Friday, like I have just, I'm not saying that, you know, my baby was Jesus, but I have just, I just have never identified so closely. I don't think with a a biblical character in my life, like I just felt this soul connection to, to Mary and into what it was like to to lose a son, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go a little bit off script here. I grew up very Baptist and mm-hmm. can remember hearing from youth ministers, Sunday school teachers, 
family preachers that even the idea of Mary was sort of disparaged. Um, mm-hmm. That that was a very Catholic idea. You know, those Catholics, yeah. they just worship Mary. Like that's more of a matriarchal kind of situation. And like, and that was a very negative concept. Um, so do you think this is especially tricky for folks from like my Methodist friends didn't feel that way. They didn't hear that. Mm-hmm. Is this a Baptist thing? Autumn, you're letting your ba- especially anti-women? Autumn, you're letting your Baptist show. Yeah. <laughs> I was done to the age I, of five, you guys. It's deep in there. <laughs> yes. I mean, I grew I grew up very similar. And I don't know if it it's it's it certainly feels like a Protestant thing to me. Um okay. and I don't know if that's especially true. Um, that would be interesting to ask different women from different, um, like traditions. Um, certainly Mary has, um, receives higher reverence in Catholic, in Catholic traditions. Um, and, and I see, like, I see our sort of, um, whether it's Baptist or Protestant or evangelical or whatever it is push back against the Mary thing. I mean, it's just more of that trying that attempt to suppress the feminine, mm-hmm. um, that fear. Um, whereas, you know, I think of Mary now, not when I was younger, but now I think of Mary as she's like this subversive, like, it's like the divine feminine saying, I will persist. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make myself visible. Um, and then you know, once again, we've tried to suppress her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That leads right into our next question about the very nature of toxic masculinity mm-hmm. um, and how it's impacted our understanding of God, that toxic masculinity often establishes a message of exclusivity. Yeah. Um, but you argue a more feminine God encourages people to pull up a chair. It's more hospitable. Can you expand a little bit on that idea? Yeah, I, um, there's so much to say about that. Um, I, again, like my vision of, of, of queendom is really not, it has nothing to do with a queen, right? (laughs) Like, um, just like kingdom should not have anything to do with a king. (laughs) I'm just picturing Beyonce. Is that wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that may be a little right, Autumn. (laughs) could work i could that could i could get around that um um which is i mean which i'll say also like isn't that the kind of kingdom idea we get from jesus right like jesus was not wearing a crown jesus was not sitting on a throne jesus was not uh, at the head of the table right so this idea of queendom is actually i think quite jesusy mm-hmm. um i got off track there what were we, um oh yeah the the sort of the pull up a chair um you know, if you, there's this really interesting case um, that Merlin Stone makes when in the book, uh, When God Was a Woman, and she's talking about pre-patriarchal religion, and um, she talks about how, um, you know, before monotheism sort of took over, <laughs> and there we, humanity sort of conceptualized of, of, of many gods, um, that the governmental structures also tended to be more communal like the decision making processes were more communal and it's really interesting that our you know our theology of god tends to then get reflected in the way that we govern and make choices um 
So not necessarily saying we have to, to do away with monotheism, but I think it's really interesting to look back and see how, how things have shifted. Um, so to me, my vision of, of, of queendom, um, you know, is really, it's conceptualizing of God as he, she, they, beyond gender, between gender, you know, it's, it's so expansive. And if, if, if God is that expansive, then also our communities are that expansive and the wisdom is that expansive. So, so we want to hear from the voices of everybody because everybody, no matter what their gender um, is a little reflection of God and holds a little piece of that wisdom. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yes, absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. Kendall, you also in the book get really, really honest about a subject that is very difficult to talk about. And that is admitting a lack of trust by women, not only in the system, but in men who are products of the patriarchal hierarchy. Even sometimes when those male colleagues are advocates uh, for a more uh, equal uh, system. I think this is a very important conversation to have because it's something that we often dance around uh, of, of how we can... Because it's like you, you've already said in this conversation, it's so ingrained into our culture and into our mindset and theologies that a lot of times we're blind to it. Mm-hmm. And so how, how, do we, how do we work through that? I was going to say get past it, but we really can't get past it until we work through it. Mm-hmm. How can we work together to bring about this kingdom of God theology and idea and build a sense of trust between uh, colleagues and fellow disciples to make certain that this does, this is the future. Hmm. You know, I think probably the answer to this question is very similar to um, how do, um, how do white people dismantle our internalized Hmm. white supremacy that we're blind to, you know, there's, there's really, I think, this burden of labor on the folks mm-hmm. with power. So when, when we're talking about patriarchy, then I would say there's really a burden of labor um, on men. Um, to, well, am I going to be blunt? Shut up and listen. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, just, just stop, just stop just stop talking for a minute. And um, that doesn't mean your voice doesn't matter. It doesn't mean uh, we don't want men's voices, but there's just this dominance of, I mean, you you even just think about being, I'm sure you've experienced this being in a room where multiple, like a man and a woman both try to speak up at the same time. And like 90% of the time, the man's voice is going to dominate. Like it's, we don't have practice as a culture of, of trying to make sure there's balance in the room. Um, so I really, yeah, like I think about Nevertheless She Preached, right? Which is this um, nonprofit I've helped to, to found. And every year we elevate and center the voices of, of women and it's fantastic. And there's, every year there's like a handful of men that come. And I'm like, 
if men got it, they would be flocking to this thing, (laughs) you know, like where else can you, where else can you go and just have the experience of sitting at the feet of this many dynamic women and non-binary folks, um, completely, completely, um, centered, you know, and instead men are like, Oh, I think that's like, isn't that like a woman thing? And I'm like, no, this is a human. This is a humanity yeah. thing. This is a humanity yeah. thing. Um, as women, we go to events where m- there's only men up on the stage all the freaking time. Like, would it be so hard to 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 sort of just just come once a year and sit there? You know. So anyway, I, I'm not trying to sound too harsh on the men, but I really do think there's a there's a yeah there's a burden of labor there of of would listening. You- would you agree? I've had, we've had several conversations with, um, with women in ministry mm-hmm. in different capacities at different age levels and, you know, pedigree labels and degrees and skins on the wall. And there has been a consensus that there's also a problem with women mm-hmm. making space and allowing, um, sometimes like I've heard from several folks, um, who've said, you know, a, a man will hold the door open and then a woman will just push me right back out. So Mm -hmm. what do you, how, because I feel like we're sort of culpable too in some of Yes. Yes. And that, I mean, that's, I would still blame the patriarchy. It's, it's this notion, what happens for women, I think, is that, that because so few opportunities have been given us, we develop this competitive spirit with each other. Yes. You know, like we've been led to believe there's only a few places at the top that are maybe open to a couple of you who are absolutely superior. (laughs) And so we have, it's like, we have to fight each other Mm -hmm. to the top. Mm -hmm. Um, And also then women who um, I see this a lot too, women who have been successful, you know, they've, they've received tenure or they're finally, you know, the senior pastor at a, a big steeple church or whatever there can be this sort of like, well, I had to earn it. So the women that come after me, like they need to earn it too. And, um, instead of, instead of, instead of, so instead of using their positions of power to sort of, oh my gosh, let's try to level things out so that everybody has equal opportunity. There's almost this, um, like, yeah, this kind of somebody has to earn it the way I earned it. Um, and so I think that's just another way that patriarchy has damaged women and damaged the relationship between women. Um, and it feeds that, right? Like I've, you know, um, for example, so many times, um, I don't know if people would say this about me anymore because I tend, I'm getting more and more vocal, but people would say, oh, I really like you because you're not an angry feminist. <laughs> You know, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, and so it's like, it's, it's already, you know, it's like, you're doing better than the other feminists, you know? So there's all this language we use to try to separate women out and like, who's like, doing it right. Other yeah. Each other. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, so this person's doing it right. And this person's doing it wrong. And this person's coming on too strong. And, you know, there's all this language to, to make us feel like we're not in it together, that we have to actually like beat each other out. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, that's a powerful conversation that I listened to. And, <laughs> uh, but I think I you're, exa- you're going to be like scared to speak up now. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, I've been, to be honest with you, I've been trying to do a lot better on that because, mm-hmm. you know, I acknowledge that. Uh, I think it's, yeah. it's an admission that, that males have to make. They often try to dominate the conversation and sometimes we just need to shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've been trying to do that more. Uh, it's, it's kind of crazy to say that since, you know, we're part of a media company and I'm a co-host <laughs> of a show. But, uh, As you sit with a giant microphone. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I see the hypocrisy. It's dripping. <laughs> well, you're making space. I think that's, and that's something that we are working toward at Good Faith Media to make sure that we are amplifying all kinds of voices and listening, truly not just hearing them, but listening to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, typically, um, at the end of each podcast episode, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. But we wanted to give you um, and our listeners a little glimpse of your book. So we've asked you to read a a section of your new book. So could you read a little bit of that for us, Kendall? Yes, I I would love to do that. Um, so this is a, this is in chapter one where I am I'm talking about um, how powerful it was for me the first time I saw an image of Christ represented in a feminine mm. form, um, like seeing a female body on a cross was like oh man like mm. I, I I feel that sense of God's solidarity mm-hmm. with battered women. Um, but then, as after I talk about that in the book, I write this. As powerful as a female image of Christ is, I don't want to lose the male images of Christ either. After all, a male version of God who willingly divests himself of power is far more revolutionary than a woman who is murdered by those in power. Women are crucified on the daily men with power are not. If I could retell the Christ story in my own words, he would die as a man and be raised as a woman. Wow, that's powerful. That's so good. Oh, Kendall Ray Rothless, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Once again, you're always welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. Kendall's book, The Queendom Come, Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul is available for purchase or download this coming August 17th. So next Tuesday, make certain, or you you can actually pre-order it today. Mm -hmm. I think in some instances you might get it before August 17th, hint, hint. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it's going to be officially released on August 17th. It is well worth your money and your time. It is a great, great book. Kendall, thank you for being with us. Good faith. Oh, thank you for having me. I love talking with you all. You're you're really fun. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. And as always, until next week, keep living good faith.